0: People who meditate as part of the brain was like almost inactive, which meant that they were somehow doing a really good jo- job at training the brain to not be fearful of the future and not live in the past and live more in the present moment. And I was like, okay, that's pretty interesting. And then they started talking about how by doing... Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of Live an Extraordinary Life. I am your host, Tim Bishop, and this podcast serves as a guide to help you define what an extraordinary life is for yourself. So today, we have an episode about something that has become very important in my life. My goal of this episode is to start building knowledge around it. I don't have a full expertise on this topic, but it is something that I have been practicing and doing every single day, and I just want you, the listeners, to learn more about it as well and understand the real power and effects that it can have on your life. This episode is actually about meditation and what I have been doing with it. Before you shut this episode off and move on because you say that I'm not interested in meditation, I want you to just hear me out here because there is an incredible amount of research out there that shows the amount of benefits that doing some sort of meditation practice can have in our life. The interesting thing is that there's hundreds of types of meditations not just like one word. I think people say the word meditation and they bucket into one category, but it is actually a wide array of things. And I just want to share with you the basically the research that I've done and the stuff that I've gathered over the course of the last couple of years. What I've started to realize is that everyone needs to try this on their own terms. You can't tell someone to meditate and and they'll just be like, okay, I'll go do it. But it's something that over the course of time, the more that you're shown the evidence behind it and the facts behind it, I at least was convinced and am convinced that it is something important in my life. And I simply want to provide you with the evidence that I have been able to see over the course the last couple of years and let you decide on your own about something that you want to try now or try later, or maybe not at all. But basically it all started for me my freshman year of college about four years ago. when we read a book about it in one of my business classes. And that was, again, the time where I, w- I wasn't convinced. I read this book, we talked about it, and I was like, okay, this seems cool. Like I want to try it. But But I don't really see a lot of benefits for this in me. And fast forwarding three years, when I've mentioned this before, I spent about six months in Southeast Asia. I was, for the first time, in a culture that was not Christian. Buddhist culture in Thailand, and I became very fascinated with Buddhist monks. I had an opportunity to meet a few and talk to a few and had some pretty cool stories told to me by men who commit their lives to simply meditating pretty much all day, every single day, and being learners of the mind. And that definitely opened up my brain more to the idea of meditation and saying, well, what is it about this? Like, why do so many people really want to dive into this and learn about it in different parts of the world? So, what I did is before I was on my flight back home to the US, I decided to go to the bookstore, Thailand, and see if I could find a book about meditation. And I did. I found one by Robert Wright, and the book is actually called Why Buddhism is True, but it really wasn't about the religion on Buddhism. It was called The Science and Philosophy of Meditation and Enlightenment. And I thought that seemed intriguing enough to give it a read and to try it out. This book was for sure the first thing that pushed me towards trying meditation. The thing that this book really taught me was to look at life in a lens of, of that humans are just animals and how we were created. The interesting thing is that he posed this question, which was what kinds of perceptions and thoughts and feelings guide us through life each day? And the most basic answer he gave was the kinds of thoughts and feelings and perceptions that helped our ancestors get genes to the next generation. So our thought processes, our behaviors, everything that we do, we're simply based off of biologically how can humans survive and what is the best way that we can do that. What's interesting as society has evolved, these things aren't necessarily giving us a true view of reality now we get scared, we get anxious, we get stressed, we have these different thoughts, this and that, but it's in a completely different world than... The human was created in, it's basically deluding us. It's it's causing us to think things that aren't truly um, happening in the world. They're just happening in our minds. So it's super interesting. He basically said, you know, well, how do we seize control of our lives? You know, how do we gain this control back? And he says, well, it's to control our feelings. It stands to reason that one way to change and to control the show and to control our lives is to change the role that feelings play in everyday life. And he says that mindfulness meditation is a great way to to do that. He basically goes through a wide array of things of how to use meditation to stay focused at work, basically understand yourself better, and I guess that was a really bad way of phrasing it, but to cultivate an awareness of your feelings that will fundamentally change your relationship to them. Really having this mental fitness that people talk about and training the mind like you would train your body so that it can be ready in all scenarios to, to really just again, the overall goal here is making you a happier person and be able to control your mind, your emotions. That to me was intriguing. And at the end of the book, he really said the happiness that he now has is a true review of the world. And it's a more quality kind of happiness that he feels. So all these things intrigued me enough to at least start trying it. The summer after I got back from Thailand, I actually had a coworker who was really into it. His name was Alex Myers. He pushed me to that next step of trying. it. I downloaded one of those apps for the first time. I started trying meditation. I started, you know, again, I was kind of convinced after reading this book. I was like, okay, yeah, I want to have a true review of the world. I want to be, able to understand meditation better, but it wasn't quite enough evidence yet, even though I had some things pushing me, pushing me towards it. Then over the course of the last six to eight months, the evidence has started to pile up. So I listened to a Tim Ferriss podcast with Dr. Andrew Weil, where I learned about four, seven, eight breathing. Seems pretty simple, but it's basically you breathe four seconds in, you hold for seven seconds, and then you breathe out for eight seconds and you do that a couple times and then you do that like twice a day. And he was talking about how this simple breathing technique, if done over the course of many years, is basically one of the biggest things that is can come combat like stress, anxiety, fear, and mental health and these different kinds of things. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Like just by doing this four, seven, eight breathing, then this is an incomplete, you know, chronological order, but there is this Netflix series and the there was a Madison, Wisconsin neuroscience researcher who was in this series and it was called The Mind Explained. There's an episode about mindfulness in this series and this is of Richard Davidson who's one of the leading neuroscience re- researchers in the world kind of was a part of this episode and they were studying a Buddhist monk who was 41 years old and they said that he had a brain, the brain of a 33 year old. So that was kind of an interesting way to start. We say okay he's got a young, a young mind. What does that mean? Well it turns out that mind mindfulness meditation, this word satipatthana, was kind of what mindfulness meditation means. And the goal was to pay attention inside. And what they learned by basically hooking up a bunch of machines to this monk was that he had an insane control of his brain. It was kind of the opposite of what they thought. Meditation doesn't really shut your brain off. It actually causes a rush of activities and it opens up all these new parts of your brain. Mindfulness is simply bringing attention to what our brains are doing. So like I mentioned earlier, we our, our brains are operating in this way that that is how humans were supposed to kind of operate and survive in the wild. But now that we're not in that environment anymore, we need to bring attention to what our brains are doing. So when we see these emotions coming up in us because biologically they're supposed to. Mindfulness meditation is kind of training us to see those emotions, observe them, and acknowledge that they are false or that they aren't really there or we're not. We shouldn't be worried about these things. And when you do mindfulness meditation, again, they say it's like you're going to the gym. You know, you're training your mind to be mindful always, uh, to be mindful when you eat when you're going to sleep, when you walk, when you talk. It's honestly just training you to understand and have a better relationship with life and to be more present with all the things that you're doing. What's interesting is I talked a lot about this default mode network. So this is the part of the brain that is tied to our past and our future. So the part of the brain that makes us not live in the moment. It's the part of the brain that you can ruminate on the past. People with depression or anxiety, this is this part of the brain is really turned up. They're always thinking about they're fearful of the future or something bad happened in the past and they're living in that past. But people who meditate, this part of the brain was like almost inactive, which meant that they were somehow doing a really good jo- job at training the brain to not be fearful of the future and not live in the past and live more in the present moment. And I was like, okay, that's pretty interesting. And then they started talking about how by doing this, people who meditate experience pain and negative emotion differently. So most of us experience pain actually before the pain even happens. So we know that, for example, let's say a test is coming up and we know the test this is just a pretty basic example. We know the test is not going to be fun. So we worry and we stress and we blah, blah, blah. Then we take the test. The test is like, oh, okay, it wasn't too bad. And then it's over. We caused ourselves all this pain beforehand. And with meditators, they're finding that this pre-pain doesn't really exist. They still feel the pain of the moment, but then it's like it's over. And it's it's like there's less emotion involved and less rumination around bad events. And it almost makes people view pain as a neutral event. And there's a very serious example of this. There was a mug in Vietnam who burned himself while he was protesting, and he sat there burning himself, and he didn't flinch. He didn't show any emotion. And it was this insane example of, wow, this man has controlled his brain enough where he can just sit there. It's kind of Gory, but to sit there and let himself burn. And I'm not saying this is the goal of meditation, but I'm saying, wow, he had an insane control of his mind and his emotions. One of the big things that they talk about in this mindfulness meditation is once you become more in control of your own emotions and can really live more in the present moment, it frees you up to focus more on other people and to give more to other people. So mindfulness meditation is really, again, cultivating awareness around your emotion, being able to control it, and then being able to properly give more to others and to be there more for others and to be less emotional and to be more present. And I was like, okay, this all adding up, this is all sounding really good. Then I started learning more about other kinds of meditation. So it was loving kindness meditation. And this is simply based on the idea of sending energy to others. So loving kindness meditation was first introduced to me by Tim Ferriss. He is a New York Times bestselling author, a podcaster, and a pretty incredible human being. This is basically where you sit down and there's a lot of different ways to do it but you think about someone in your life it's kind of like this is like religion like you're praying for someone it can be done in a religious or a non-religious way but you're basically thinking about someone and you're wishing all of their dreams to come true. So I might sit down and think about my brother and say, I know he's building a business. I know he is trying to have a personal life. I know that there's all these things that he wants to do in his life. And I will sit there for a minute and I will just pray for him and say I hope that all these things work out. And and truly in a real way, you know, you can apply it to your own situation, but you truly basically you try to send energy to that person. And you do that for, I do it for three people. So I'll go through three different people and I'll basically wish the best for them. And I will wish them and pray for them and hope that the universe sends them good energy, that they stick on their path and that they stay strong and that I, they know that I will always be there for them if they need me. The reason why that this this is a valuable thing to do is, is that a lot of neuroscientists and psychologists and researchers say that You know, there actually is psychological benefits of giving, of thinking about others. Our brain is happier when we think about others, when we give to others. Because us humans, again, we're we're social animals. We're made to coexist. We're made to support each other as tribes, as, as an animal species in a sense. So when we're thinking about others and we're giving to others, it allows us, again, to take our minds out of our worries and our fears and simply give love and energy to other people out there in the world. And again, this is actually proven psychologically to give to give you feelings of, of gratitude and joy in your life. So this takes me on to actually another kind of meditation which is simply gratitude meditation. This one is basically instead of thinking about people, it could be people, you're thinking about things that you are grateful for and I've actually been learning a lot about gratitude recently because it's interesting, it's coming up in a lot of conversation with psychologists around the world. This Dr. Lori Santos who I'm becoming very interested in, she was a psychologist who was a teacher at Yale who taught one of the most popular classes ever at Yale University called Psychology and the Good Life. Basically, her theory was, can I have a class about happiness and can I make people happier? And one of the things that she found that truly could make people happier was gratitude and kindness. It's interesting, but she found the happiest people in the world were just people who were more grateful for the things they had in their life. And she said that gratitude is a thing that can Gratitude is a thing that can actually be cultivated. It's not something where you're just like, oh, I always feel grateful. Yay, this is awesome. Everything's awesome. I'm so happy I have a house and food. And you know, it's not this fake state of mind. It's something you must practice and something you must cultivate in your own life to, to basically it's like you're building a skill. It's like it's like if you're a basketball player, and you're getting up your jump shots. You have to shoot and shoot and shoot until you're good enough where you know you can consistently make the shot. Gratitude is something that must be cultivated and practiced. Similar to loving kindness meditation, a gratitude meditation would look like you sitting down and setting aside all the thoughts and worries that are currently on your mind. And you think about an experience, a person, a thing that you are grateful for, and you step into that. So maybe I'm really grateful that I had a great conversation with a friend and I'm happy for that friendship. So I sit down and I think about all the things I've done with that friend and I step into those experiences and I relay those experiences and I feel the joy from those experiences and I just give thanks that those experiences happened. Maybe it is something really, well, really went really well at work and I had just, I felt like people were looking out for me at work and I felt like I was doing a good job and I was getting noticed for it and I'm like, I'm really grateful for this experience and I go back to that experience and I live it and I feel what it felt like to be performing well and to be being acknowledged for that work. Or maybe my life really, you know, I had a bad day. Maybe I had a bad day. I simply have to sit down and say, I'm grateful for this present moment. And I take I take 60 seconds and I just live in this present moment. And I think about today I had amazing food. Today I had People who are still there for me today, you know, bring it down to the simplest core. Today, I'm just grateful that I'm alive and have another 24 hours of health and another 24 hours of an opportunity to go live life. It's not you just simply like think, oh, I'm grateful for this, this, and this, and then you move on. What this exercise really is is you spend a minute plus on each thing that you're grateful for and you step into it, and you fully try to live it and feel it. And it does feel, all these things, trust me, feel weird at first. They're not going to feel right. Your mind's going to wander. It's, you're not going to fully get into it. But I've been doing it now consistently for like six months, and it starts to work. And this is actually something interesting that I didn't mention earlier in the show, that mindfulness episode, which I recommend that you watch. I'm going to leave a link to it in the show notes. But it talked about how meditation really is a long game. People say, well, you're gonna get enlightened right away and do you feel the effects? And like, yes, I do feel the effects, but when studying the brain, they say, okay, over the course of a short amount of time, you're not gonna be that dead of a human being. But if you do this for a year, two years, five years, 10 years, and then they study people who did it for like 25 years, just the state of mind that their brain was in was so incredibly more healthy, younger, and more active and more controlled than... Somebody who didn't. So it really is a long game here, people, and that's the thing where you need to have enough motivation to to do it. But it does also impact and affect your day-to-day life once you start to realize those little things that can do for you, as far as recentering your breath, recentering your mind, and keeping yourself to go forward. So gratitude meditation is a great way that we can live in a beautiful state and really cultivate a beautiful state of mind, even if the day isn't going super well. And it's something that I've thought about a lot recently because when you're grateful, that's, that's that's a feeling that's more rooted in joy, I believe. I believe that gratitude is rooted in the idea that things can be going really well and we can be grateful for those things, but things can also be really going really badly. We can be grateful for those things because we acknowledge that everything in our life has a meaning, has a purpose, it's taking us somewhere. Being grateful. It's just coming down to acknowledging, you know, even when times are bad, like I said, that there's still a lot of goodness in the world and goodness in our life that is out there. And we should be thankful that we are, you know, even really alive. So, so two more things that I will mention about meditation is analytical meditation. So the Dalai Lama does this, and this is actually a little bit more advanced uh, the Dalai Lama meditates like six hours a day. So I don't think you'll be doing that. But this meditation does have value for me. So when you think about gratitude meditation, you're you're focusing your mind on gratitude. You think about loving kindness, you're focusing mind on others. You think about mindfulness, you're focusing your mind on the breath, the body, sounds, anything you're trying to be really aware of. Analytical meditation is actually where you just sit with your thoughts and you allow them to come in and you analyze them. So maybe I'm sitting there I'm doing some breathing and a thought comes in. Uh, Maybe it's a negative thought, it's some sort of emotion, it's something that happened in the day. And I sit there and I, I let that thought come up. This again, kind of is tied to mindfulness because you're just acknowledging and having a better awareness of your emotions. But I'm thinking about that thought and it comes into me and I say, okay, is this thought true? This is a valid thought. So maybe I have like, oh, I'm very stressed out because I have X, Y, and Z to do, and this person isn't doing that, and I feel stressed. It's there. So the stress feeling comes inside of me, and then I think about it. I say, is it a valid, like, is it a valid emotion? Like, should I be feeling stressed right now? And it's kind of funny because like 95% of the time, it ends up being no. Like, why why am I stressed? I'm going to show up tomorrow. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. The job's going to get done and it's going to all be fine. But sometimes you're like, okay, the emotion seems kind of valid. Like, you know, you want to, you almost like want to defend the emotions that you're having because it feels like these emotions are you. You want to defend and say, oh, but like, it's okay. I feel like this. So like sometimes when you feel like that, then you kind of further analyze and you like break it down and you say, maybe this is actually trying to show me something. And analytical meditation takes the lens of learning more. You're, you're Again, this is where you're kind of committed to learning about your emotions and what your mind is telling you. And how do I decipher if is true or false? And you sort of play that game with yourself of deciding, well, you know what? This emotion actually isn't isn't true. Like, I, I shouldn't be anxious or stressed or fearful right now because I'm I'm fine and everything's going to be okay. Or, yeah, maybe I should feel like this and let's let's dive in a little bit more. So, that's another interesting thing. And finally, just talking about breathing meditation one more time, you know, really what you're doing is you're training the neurons in your brain to refocus. So, When you're breathing and you're breathing, people always say, like, why? what's the value of focusing on your breath? And then your mind wanders and you focus on your breath. What is the value of that? Well, the value is that you're training your brain to reset. And over the course, again, of a lot of time, if you can train your brain to reset, you can do anything. If you feel mad and you want to act impulsively, train your brain, reset. I'm back to the state. I'm calm. I'm good. If you want to quit, if you're feeling like, I can't get this work done today, take a few breaths, train your brain. Reset. Keep going. If you're working out, if you're an athlete or something, and you feel like I can't get this workout done, few breaths. Train your brain. Reset. There's so many real life applications that could go on forever. Where being able to simply reset your brain back to a centered state has so much value for you. And I, I, I just I believe in it so much that this is why I'm so passionate about meditation and its benefits because it's 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 something where we could avoid a lot of conflict and fight externally and internally, if we simply were able to recenter our breath and our our brain to one thought. So just showing you my morning routine. um, I try to do it every day. Honestly, I don't, um, but I'm getting better. So it starts with the four, seven, eight breathing. So I do five sets of it. Breathe in for four seconds, hold for seven, release for eight. And then I do gratitude. So I think of three things I'm grateful for and I go through that. I do loving kindness, so I go through that three things. And then I set my intentions for the day. So I learned this from Brendan Bouchard, a high-performance coach, and I go on and I you know, set my intention. Today I want to be fully present in my conversations. I want to finish this one big project of the day, and I want to be healthy. I want to eat well and do X, Y, and Z. You set your, your mental intention for the day. And uh, I found a lot of value in that setting a positive uh, state and, and uh, attention for the day. And so when I wake up, I shut my alarm off. I don't check my phone. Um, I try to wake up a little bit before I do the meditation. So I'll either shower or go make my breakfast or do some stretching. And then once I feel like my brain is awakened... Um, Because meditating when you're gonna like basically fall asleep doesn't do much because you just fall asleep. Um, So I wake myself up. Don't check phones. Don't check anything. And then I do this for like ten minutes, and it's a great way to start the day. And I think it's again this whole like morning routine thing and this whole meditating thing. You got to do it on your on your own terms. This I hope just serves as honestly a first touch for you, or you've already learned a little about meditation. My goal this episode is to make this go make you go one step farther down the process by listening to this because I think that again over time you have to get convinced and motivated it needs to be that motivation needs to be rooted in real science or a real understanding that this will help you live in a better state but again I'm here to tell you that this is a long game and that it's already scientific, t- scientifically proven to make you live in a better state so I hope that you take what I had to say seriously. I think that again whether you're religious or not and that meditation and prayer of so many similarities that you can do these things whether you're religious or not, right? So loving kindness can be just loving kindness, or it can be rooted in prayer. Um, you can say, God, please pray for this person in my life. The gratitude one can be rooted in simply giving thanks, or it can be sim- rooted in God. It can say, hey, God, thank you so much for these things in my life. And then when you're doing your analytical, your breathing meditation, right? That can just be anything. That can be its own state. So again, just I think that there is some, there's a tie to meditation and Buddhism. So if you believe in christianity or whatever else you believe in that you can't meditate i think that's fully not true and i think that it's super valuable whether you're religious or not, and it will add a lot to your life um, if you do it. So that's kind of my meditation spiel for now. I think that I'm going to continue to learn more, continue to practice more, and continue to share more about it, but I've definitely found the values in it. I think that I'll have in the show notes some of these resources that I've that I've read. Dr. Lori Santos, she's great. The Mind Explained is a Netflix episode, The Book of Joy, The Dalai Lama, uh, and then Richard Davidson, who's just a great man to look into. He's an neuroscientist again at University of Wisconsin Madison and his an incredible man and then again an easiest way to get started is just downloading headspace or calm or insight timer and uh, just doing it um, at your house and doing some guided ones on your phone and it's an easy really the easiest way to get started um, to just try it thank you for listening to this for those of you that made it through this again I think that meditation really is a big piece of the puzzle and training our brains i hope that someday we can live in a world of people view mental health like physical health and we train our brains to be happy and healthy and ready to take on the world and to live in in an extraordinary state and i think that really meditation is a big part of it and it's not just what i think it's it's proven to be a big part of people's mental health and happiness and living in a extraordinary mental state so with that being said, thank you for listening to this episode about me ranting about meditation. I hope that you got something out of it. And as always, go live an extraordinary life.